The following audio is from the King's Chapel. You can find out more about our church at thekingschapel.org. Good morning, everyone. And uh, I know you might be a little surprised now that we're in Advent that we're seeing still the, the book of Acts, but uh, I got to tell you this, that is the last time you will see that introduction. That is, this is the last sermon in Acts, and we've been here for a while, and next Sunday we're going to be getting more into Advent, but it, it's hard to believe we're actually two weeks into Advent already approaching uh, Christmas. And I just want to thank Steve for what he shared this morning, because as you'll see in, in just a moment as we come to the end of the book of Acts, that what he is doing in this new season of life and he and Alberta are doing and seeking the Lord is they are determining to continue serving the Lord in this, this new lap of life. And uh, we're going to see that the Apostle Paul in this final chapter actually does something quite similar. He's, he's somewhat taken out of the mission field. He's set still in a place where he's not able to travel around anymore, and yet his ministry continues. In a, in a unique new way. But it's, um, we'll get to that in just a moment. I want to just ask anyone here this morning, did 2021 feel like an endless year? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Some of you, it, maybe it flew by and it was over in, in a blink. It's, it's a, a little bit of both, isn't it? When we come to an end of, of a year like this, I feel like I just got used to writing 21 at the end of the date on the calendar and now it's going to change and it takes forever to get used to that again. But 2021, for some, felt endless and at the same time, it's over. It's over already. We're just a couple weeks from the end of it and it's, it's as if it's gone in, in a snap, in a blink. And it seems the longer we live life, the more this feels true. I can remember being a four-year-old and feeling like the next Christmas was a quarter of a lifetime away <laughs> because it was. Uh, but now, despite life being very full and very busy, the seasons are on us and gone in what seems like the blink of an eye. The days are long, but the years are short. Does anyone else feel that way? The days are long, but the years are short. I know parents especially feel that way. And it seems like just yesterday, just not long ago, that I was a wide-eyed college freshman stepping foot on the campus of Messiah College for the first time, arriving on campus before any of the other students did because we were there for uh, preseason soccer, preseason in the heat and humidity of early August. And I can remember getting on a campus, moving into my dorm, saying goodbye to my parents, stepping out onto the campus being full of nervous anxiety. Do you all remember that feeling? First time at college? And uh, maybe you had anxiety for different reasons than I did. It wasn't because I was leaving home. It wasn't because I was beginning classes or would have to make new friends. No, I was nervous because on my first day on campus, that was the beginning of preseason soccer and our training would begin with a test, a fitness test. For any athletes in the room, maybe you're starting to feel that nervous anxiety right now just thinking about some of those, those fitness tests that we had back in the day. And you're getting that, that sickness in your stomach thinking about it. At Messiah, the standards were very high. It's a very successful soccer program, and the standards were high but really simple for fitness. When we arrived on campus, we had one test. We had to run a mile. That's it. Easy, right? We had to run one mile in under five minutes. So every player on the team needed to come in prepared and trained to run a mile in less than five minutes. For the track superstars here, you think, well, that's no big deal. We all run that fast. For everyone else, every other kind of athlete, uh, all of the basketball players, soccer players, uh, and all of you NARPs, that's the non-athlete regular people, this is really hard because it requires you to both be fast and to be fit. And, and it is something that 
even for good athletes, is very difficult. So I trained. I prepared all summer. I was running. I was working on my tempo, my pace, my sprinting, uh, eating well, spending hours week after week running mileage on the roads or sprinting on tracks where in the summer air, the air was 100 degrees, but those rubber tracks were more like 120 degrees. And, and so trained all summer, and now it was done. First day, the test is coming. Last day of preparation, first day of preseason. Today, we were going to race. We were going to race. How many of you, I wonder, have ever been in a foot race? Anyone? There's something very exciting about the beginning of a race, very exciting about the start of it, but also very final. Once it begins, it's just going to go now. It's going to go until either you quit or you finish. Those are really the only two options once the race begins. You quit or you finish. And if you finish, you can either bleed into the finish, limp into the finish, and barely make it, or you can finish strong. And you can't control how fast the people next to you run. All you can control is the way that you begin, the way that you run, and the way that you finish. All you can do is do your best to run well and to finish strong. If there's a big idea for today's sermon, that's it. It's, it's just this. In your life and in this present season, God desires that you run well and that you finish strong. We're going to see that from the Apostle Paul this morning as we get into the last chapter of Acts. But as we consider running and finishing strong, I don't want this to just just be some kind of abstract exercise for us. I want us to consider that this is an analogy that is present in many passages in Scripture. This idea of running well. And listen to this. For example, in Hebrews chapter 12, it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Paul says something similar in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. How are you running? How are you running? As you come into the service here this morning, I want you to consider that. When I ask that, I don't mean how busy are you. And I don't mean how much are you accomplishing. Or, or what kind of financial legacy are you, you building for the future. I mean... In the sense of running, are you living honestly? Are you repenting and casting off those things that are are hindering you? Are you setting your aim on Jesus Christ and his kingdom? Is he your priority? Are you running in such a way that Jesus Christ is glorified in your life and as other people come in contact with you, they see Jesus and are led to him? Are you running well? Last night as I was talking to my wife by the fire uh, about this message and I was talking about running, uh, my daughter, my dear daughter, Molly, six-year-old, walks up and puts her hand on me and I, I look at her and she says, Daddy, how do you know so much about running since you never run? <laughs> and it's, uh, I, I used to. I used to. I have some experience with it. And what I'll tell you is that when you run a mile in particular, there are four laps. So a mile is essentially just over 1,600 meters. So on a 400-meter track, you're basically running four laps around the track. Each lap is in some way similar to our experience in life. And I'll explain. The first lap, if you've been in a race, you know it's full of energy. It's full of excitement. And 
also a lot of uncertainty. You don't really know how it's going to go. In that first lap, you're finding your rhythm. You're finding your pace. You're getting your feet under you. You're getting established with the pack and, and trying to get on your rhythm. And so maybe some of you are in that stage right now. You're in a first lap stage of life. You're beginning something new. Maybe it's a, a new career that's just begun or, or you're, you're starting school or you're recently married or maybe you just had your first child or are about to and life is full of all kinds of uncertainty but it's also full of excitement. And the question for you is are you running well? Are you running well as you begin this new season? The second lap of the mile as you round that turn and get into your second lap you'll hear uh, a split. Someone call out your time so far. And you'll hear uh, whether you're ahead of your pace or behind your pace, and you'll make some adjustments. In a lot of ways, the second lap of a race, a mile race, is the easiest because you're in a rhythm now. Your breathing is in a rhythm. Your steps are in a rhythm. You're running side by side with other people who are keeping a similar pace and have a similar strategy at this point in the race. You make your adjustments. You settle in. It's not that hard. You're in rhythm now. And maybe that's you right now. Maybe you're in a season of life where, where things are moving along pretty smoothly, where you're confident and competent, where things are going well in your career, where, where you're, by God's grace, walking well with the Lord and looking to your left and your right, and there are other brothers and sisters in Christ who are similarly walking with you and encouraging you. Maybe you're in a second lap kind of season. And if you are, that is a really good place to be. And I, I would just encourage you to enjoy it, to light yourself in the Lord during the season because the third lap is coming. The third lap is coming coming and it may be counterintuitive you would think the last lap would be the hardest but actually in, in these kinds of races that third lap is by far the most difficult why because this is the point in the race where everything in your body begins to get tired and shut down your lungs are burning your legs are burning and the mental game begins where you begin to, to wonder why in the world are you doing this and and your brain is telling you something really logical it's stop doing this it hurts Get off of this track. Why are you putting yourself through this? When we're on that third lap, it, we begin to question our motivation, our beginning. Why did I do this? Why did I get in this race in the first place? You begin to think about yourself a lot rather than the people running next to you. And, and, and true story, this has been my experience. As I go into that third lap of, of the mile race, temptations begin to cross your mind like maybe I'll just quit. Or maybe I'll just sort of step off the side a little bit and, and roll my ankle and then I won't have to finish this race and then I'll recover and we play soccer, you know. And, and I'm serious. A lot of people will tell you in these kinds of races, when it gets really painful, there's this temptation, this overwhelming temptation to just quit and to just step out of the race. And every temptation will cross your mind. You'll feel like quitting so badly that you may even self-sabotage. Some of you are in a season like that right now. You are, are, are maybe considering quitting something. I don't know what. I don't know your life. Maybe it's, it's walking away from your family or, or quitting your marriage or stepping away from your commitments or disconnecting from your community. And maybe you're wondering if following Jesus is really worth it, if it's worth the pain, if it's worth the sacrifice. Maybe today you could just step off the side of the track. Maybe you could leave your community. Maybe you could pull away. And I believe the Lord would tell you this morning, if any of you are in that place right now, to endure. To endure because he is worth it. Jesus is worth it. We, we know in scripture it says the testing of our faith produces endurance. And, and it says that those that endure to the end will be delivered. 
So don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit on your marriage. Don't quit on your children. Don't quit on your community. Don't quit. Don't quit on your recovery. Whatever it is, don't quit on your Lord Jesus. Don't quit. He's worth it. He is worth everything. And he has good in store for you as you endure and as you continue in his strength. After rounding that turn, after about 1,200 meters, something changes. And I want to encourage you that something can change in your life too. The bell begins to ring, signaling that it's the final lap. And all that doubt, all that temptation to quit evaporates because you only have one lap to go and you can do this. You can finish this race. The bell rings and everyone begins to sprint. Why? Because if there's anything left in the tank, now is the time to spend it. Now is the time to pour it out. This is known as the kick in a race. And you'll see these these runners who all of a sudden have all this energy out of nowhere and begin to sprint to the end. Because it's only 400 more meters. Your legs begin to feel like jelly. Your lungs are on fire. You're exhausted, but it doesn't matter because you can see the finish line and you can do anything for just one lap. It's time to finish strong. And so, so here we go around the track one last time. At Messiah, this was one of our core values. We would say in everything, we finish strong. We finish strong. And we, we meant that in our games. We would play well to the final whistle. We meant that in our practices. We meant that in our classrooms. And we meant that in the mile. We were committed to last lap, best lap. Some of you, like the Apostle Paul in Acts, are entering into the last lap right now. I don't know if it's the last lap of your life or the last lap of this particular season that you're in. Maybe you see the end of something coming or maybe just the end of 2021, thank the Lord. And the question facing each of us this morning is this, will you finish strong? Will you finish strong? The Lord would have you finish strong. Turning to Acts 28, we come to the very last chapter of Acts. And as a church, this has been our heartbeat. We go chapter by chapter through scripture and taking breaks along the way for some topical series. But we've been going through uh, the writings of Luke for quite a while. We actually started with the gospel of Luke back in 2017. And then we continued straight into the book of Acts, which is also written by Luke uh, in mid-2020. And here we are now coming to the end of this, this time we've been with Luke and more recently with Paul. And it's been a long haul. I, I, I went from having one kid when we began this to adding three more to my family since we started. And, and so we have to finish this <laughs> as soon as possible. We're going to finish strong. Today we say goodbye. We say goodbye to Acts. We say goodbye to Paul. We say goodbye to Luke. And I want you to remember that Paul uh, is being sent out. He has been sent out by his home church in Antioch. He's gone all over the world, just like Stephen Alberta, uh, planting churches uh, on mission for the Lord. I just want to also add this in here. This is a bit of a mission Sunday. We have another missionary here in the service with us. Uh, Mary Razowitz, who's sitting over here, is a, a could you raise your hand, Mary? Yeah, right there. She's one of our missionaries to Panama. And so she's here visiting with us and would love to connect with you so you can hear more about how she's ministering uh, with YWAM in Panama and Colombia and, and all kinds of stuff. So um, here, Paul has been living that kind of life. He's been going place to place, planting churches on mission, uh, living all out for Jesus so that people can come to know Jesus and experience salvation. And now as we come to an end of Acts, to the end here, we know that Paul's in prison. And he's been in prison for a while. He's, he's gone through years of imprisonment and trials, uh, rejected by his countrymen in Jerusalem, and now he's gone to be before the court of Caesar in Rome. God has told Paul that he will testify about him in Rome. And so here Paul is, finally, after all of this, in Rome. Verse 16, And when we came into Rome, 
Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. So Paul is in a rented apartment in Rome. He's under uh, house arrest here. And the wheels of the justice system are churning ever so slowly. And so Paul is going to remain here for two years. His reputation is well known in Judea, but we're about to see that despite him writing letters to the church in Rome, in Rome to the Romans, uh, he's not that well known by the Jews in Rome. And so here's what Paul does. He arrives in the city, and despite being imprisoned in a sense, he opens up his home, he begins to share his testimony, and he proclaims the risen Christ. Verse 17, after three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. He continues, For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. We were singing this morning and will continue to sing just this anticipation among the Israelites that their Savior would come. And Paul is saying the reason he is in chains is not because he did anything deserving death, but because he has seen Christ. The promised Messiah has come, and he's going to tell them about it. And for that reason, he's in chains. And they said to him, We've received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, that is Christianity, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. So we see Paul arrives in the city, and for once his reputation doesn't go before him. And being curious, though they've heard bad things about Christianity, they've heard that it's this, this cult in Judea, this big problem, that, that, that perhaps they're forsaking the laws of Moses, all these other things. Despite what they've heard, Paul has been sent to them, and they want to hear what he has to say. These are devout, God-fearing Jewish individuals, and God in his great mercy, what he does is he sends to them the perfect representative, someone who is an intellectual, who can answer their questions, someone who is bold in his witness, and someone who is a fellow Israelite in the Apostle Paul. And so I, I just want to point out to you, have you ever considered that God has similarly made you for a purpose? That he has called you to a specific place to be his witness intentionally? Maybe it's your workplace or your home. I don't know what it is, but, but God has chosen you to be in the context you're in right now to be his witness, and you are exactly the person that he intends to be there. That should embolden us in our witness to know that about our Lord, that we are his chosen instrument where we are. Verse 23. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. So the word is spreading. I love this. Uh, some of you have experienced the transforming power of Jesus in your life, and so you've brought others in to, to show and, and allow them to taste and see what you've experienced. And this is what's happening. People are coming to Paul, and they're bringing more and more people to Paul's feet to listen to what he has to say. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. See how Paul tries to convince them? From the word of God. From the word of God. Scripture is powerful. Scripture has the power to transform our hearts and our lives. As scripture empowered by the Holy Spirit can change everything. Do you know your word? Are you spending time in the Bible? Are you able to defend your faith from the word of God? We see that in Paul. This is what he's all about. Notice, not all will be convinced. And there's some freedom, there's some, some burden off of us in that. It's not up to us whether people come in or not. But some will be con convinced as Paul is faithful to this instruction. They come. 
They come in and they spend hours with Paul and they stay because whether they want to hear this message or not, they can't help but know that his message is compelling. Friends, you have the same message. You have the same good news. You have the same powerful testimony that you were dead and now you're alive in Christ. You were lost and now you're found. And, and I think we don't share often because we think that, that if we share our faith with our friends, if we talk about important things, that it's going to be awkward. Or maybe our neighbors won't want to be around us. They, they won't like us. But here's the truth. All these people around you, they're already wondering these same things. They're wondering where they came from. They're wondering how to make decisions in life. They're wondering where they're going ultimately. They're wondering if they have a purpose in this life. And, and most people, if you just ask them questions and listen will want to share what they believe, will want to share what they're thinking. And that may just open up an opportunity for you to share about this blessed hope that we have. Verse 24, here Paul keeps talking, he keeps listening, he keeps fielding their questions and he keeps preaching Jesus. Verse 24, and some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. He said, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. It's saying through the scriptures, Paul's saying, you, you, you can't hear this message that I'm proclaiming to you. You're not hearing what I'm saying, but this is the heart of God toward you. It says, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their hearts and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. I admire this about Paul. He is committed to preaching the truth no matter what. We in the American church, I think, could use more of this, a boldness in our witness, a boldness in declaring the exclusive claims of the gospel and of Jesus Christ. And here, this is what Paul does. More and more people are coming to him, and he doesn't back off. He continues to proclaim the gospel no matter what. Verse 30, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and preaching, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And I love the, the way that other translations put this. They say he, he stayed there preaching with openness, unhindered. Openness, unhindered. People are coming to him as his doors are open and he's preaching salvation to them. He's not able to travel anymore. His missionary journeys, at least for the moment, have come to an end. And as he enters into this last lap of life, I think it's so important for us to consider how he spent it. He spends two years in these confines, but his bold witness continues even as he's not able to move around anymore because of two things. Number one, he opens his doors. And number two, he's committed to the truth. Openness, unhindered. I think that's a picture for us to live with boldness, to live with, with conviction and clarity in our commitment to the gospel and at the same time to have open doors of hospitality and love toward those who especially are not like us. That's Paul's two years here. And then with verse 31 that we just read, the book of Acts comes to a close. It's over. We've, we've finished this book just, just like that. But don't you feel like we can't just leave the story there? You have to wonder what happened next. Like, is this it? Does it just end there? I actually kind of love the way that it ends without any 
final conclusive statement because the mission continues. I want to tell you what happened next. What happened next is historically unprecedented. This movement of Christianity spreads and it spreads and it spreads as bold believers, just like you, continue to spread the good news. So much so that within about 250 years, under the reign of Constantine the Great of Rome, over 50% of the population of the Roman Empire professed to be Christians. Isn't that amazing? It goes from this, this sect that people have barely heard of to, to essentially the national religion of Rome for a period of time. Now, I know not all of that is authentic. We know that even in the United States, there's plenty of people who, who say they're Christians just because they were born in Alabama or whatever. I don't know uh, what it was like in Rome at the time. There are probably many who are not genuine believers. And yet, we see that the gospel did spread all over the place. So many people heard the gospel and many, many professed to be Christians. How exciting is that? That we have that same mission. We have that same word. That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. We have the same Holy Spirit. When we began this book of Acts, we talked about Pentecost and the power of the Spirit. And that same Spirit, the Spirit of God, is at work in you, believer, for the same mission. The message and the mission have not ended and God desires to lead many to salvation through you. So our study in the book of Acts is over, but the book is not finished. And, and, and it just makes me think of the church planting network. Maybe you've heard of it, and I don't know what you think of it, but there's a church planting network called Acts 29. Acts 29, as if there's a new chapter as the church continues to minister in the world. I think that's a clever name and a clever idea because in some sense, the book of Acts is not done. Jesus is not done. There is more in store for the kingdom through you. The Apostle Paul, his story is not over either. And, and perhaps you've wondered what happens next to the great Apostle Paul. Over the last few months, we've seen him on this journey toward Rome, and like Jesus as he approaches the cross in Jerusalem, there's this growing sense of anticipation that you know the end is coming, that Paul is entering into the, the last lap of his, his journey, that pretty soon he's going to be able to, once again, meet his Savior face to face. But until then, Paul is going to run well, and he's going to finish strong. Last lap. Paul says, it this way, as he, as he doesn't know how many days, months, weeks, years he's going to have left, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So scripture doesn't tell us what, exactly what happens next in Paul's life other than a few hints in some of his letters. But uh, we do have some church history and some tradition that tells us a bit more. I don't want to speculate here, so, so I'll, I'll be careful not to say too much about this. But what many scholars and church historians point out is that when Paul came to Rome during this time, it was during the reign of Nero. Nero would have been in his early 20s, and if you know anything about Nero, he is the worst. He is a, a terrible persecutor of Christians later on in his life. He is sadistic. He's a murderer. He's, he's everything that, that is reprehensible about humanity, cruel and insanely violent, and eventually persecutes Christians. But Paul arrives at a time and place in Rome in which Nero is not yet running the courts. He's not overseeing this stuff yet. So in all likelihood, Paul, after two years, is released from his house arrest briefly and is able to go and travel, perhaps even as far as Spain. We don't know, but he's able to travel and encourage other believers for a little bit longer. And we also see that his, his house arrest is not wasted as he writes letters to the Ephesians, to the Philippians, to the Colossians, to Philemon, his friend, and we read those letters to this day. Isn't that amazing that, that one of Paul's most enduring legacies happens when he's in prison, at the end of his life, in the final lap, and we still read his words even now. It's, it's amazing. After two years of this, 
uh, after being released for a period of time, he writes some more letters to Titus and Timothy. He encourages some of the young church plants. And though after a very brief freedom, what would happen next is that Nero would turn up the persecution against Christians. He would begin to, to arrest Christians and to execute Christians. And Paul and Peter and many others, actually basically 11 apostles, would be caught up in this and, and all of them would be put to death through execution with the exception of, of John who died in exile. So Paul sees this coming. And I want you to listen to the tone of his final letter, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 to 8. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. He goes on to explain in this passage that he's been betrayed, abandoned, condemned, wronged. But verse 17, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. As we see Paul's attitude, as he's in this final lap of life, I want to ask us this morning as we consider this, what does this look like for you? How does this appeal to, to finish strong and to run well affect your life today? What kind of changes would the Lord have you make in your life right now? How would he reshape your priorities? Reorient your life. Maybe it's as, as simple as this. Maybe it's as simple as in this season, not facing that finish line with dread or with fear, but rather that we face what's coming next with excitement. To finish well. To cross the line running as fast as we can to the glory of God and to be able to look into the eyes of our Savior as he lays a crown of righteousness upon you and says, you have fought the good fight. You have finished the race. You have kept the faith. Well done. Receive your reward. On a cold morning, not unlike today, Paul would be walked outside the confines of the city, being escorted by a Roman execution squad. A couple of soldiers walking him out in chains, one drawing a long sword. And Paul, probably, as similar to so many Christian martyrs at this time, would have been singing, singing a hymn as he walked this final walk, lifting up praises to the Lord despite knowing what would come. He would kneel down, in front of the executioner, he would bow his head one last time. A sword would flash. And then he'd raise his head in glory. Eye to eye with his Savior. He ran well. He finished strong.